0: I think that's my cue scripture today is matthew 3 13 to 17 and ephesians 2 19 to 20 something the baptism of jesus then jesus came from galilee to the jordan to be baptized by john but john tried to deter him saying i need to be baptized by you and do you come to me jesus replied let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this in fulfil right, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Ephesians 19 to 22, 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer followers and stranger, foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. And for those who haven't seen, Happy New Year. And if I haven't seen you for a long time or haven't met you, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I won't keep going back further and further, don't worry. Uh, I feel like Christmas is the Petri dish of the Christian holidays. Do you know what a pet? I'm probably saying it wrong. Petri? Petri? Do you know what a Petri dish is? Oh, some people do. I'm impressed. A Petri dish is a little shallow plastic uh, or glass dish the scientists use to grow bacteria. This is going to be a non-scientist explanation of a Petri dish because I only remember them from high school and the class that I almost failed, so... <laughs> Don't count on me for scientific information. But anyway, so the scientists use these to grow bacteria and other things. Essentially, the scientists can put something in there, and you close the lid, and this is isolated, self-contained environment. Uh, They can observe what happens. You know, is something growing? Are there colors changing? How long does it take till a piece of deli meat starts to move on its own? You know, the important uh, questions of the scientific community. And so a Petri dish is a place where something can be tested, observed, and examined. And I think that Christmas is like a Petri dish. It's an isolated, self-contained, short-term experiment to test what people value, particularly to test what we value over other things, which things take higher priority in our lives than others. So think about the last few weeks and how many decisions had to be made Deciding one thing over the other. Gifts or no gifts? If gifts, do I value giving gifts because I value showing people that I'm thinking of them? Or because I value getting gifts? Or just because that's what I'm supposed to do? Do I purchase gifts because I value generosity over money in my bank account? Do I make gifts because I value the gift of time and so I invest time in making gifts? Or do I make my own gifts because I value creative expression? Or perhaps encouraging creative expression to others? Or do I make my own gifts just because it's cheaper and it keeps more money in my bank account? Right? Now, a lot of us probably aren't thinking about these, especially with something like Christmas. We just default into it. But all of these things are going in the background. Do I per- not purchase gifts at all because I want to donate to those who are in need? Or because I'm against consumerism and accumulation? Or is it really because I just value money in my bank account? <laughs> if traveling's in the works, do I value traveling for rest and recovery? And so I go on a trip that's just refreshing. Or do I travel because, I'm a, um, because I value adventure? Or do I value seeing distant family and friends more than adventure and rest and recovery? So I'm willing to sacrifice my personal rest for relational investment. You're picking up, hopefully, do I value tradition or new experiences? Sometimes you can do both, but usually you have to choose one or, or the other. What do you do? What was your family raised to do? This year, for some of us at Spring Garden, we were confronting, confronted with having to choose between two important values that we usually aren't forced to choose between. Do you value Christmas morning traditions? That have you staying at home? Or do you actually value gathering with your church community to worship God together? Well, for most of us, it isn't one or the other, right? We value both. Perhaps we value both. But which one is of a higher value to you? Now, personally, I, even though I'm a pastor, I don't think there is a universally right or wrong answer to this, by the way. So even as a pastor, I wouldn't say the right answer is to come to worship. Because it's not that obvious. It's not black and white. So don't think that that's what I'm trying to suggest. I don't think there's a universally right or wrong answer. Though I'm guessing that if you felt really strongly about which you picked, you maybe feel like one is right and one is wrong. Maybe. Or you're like me and you know that this is my, for me, or for those around me, this is a priority but while valuing that others have different values. My point, again, isn't that there is right or wrong value here, but that we have two values that are competing against each other. And we need to find a way to decide which one to prioritize in the moment. Now, I'm a person who overthinks everything, if you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> and so if some of you are like me, and Christmas is exhausting, because literally every five minutes, you're having to choose one thing over another. Choosing one priority of another. But for many of us, uh, even those of us who obsess over every decision, we may not even be aware of the way that our values are driving us. These may not be decisions, just default things that we do. We simply decide what is best in the moment. But even when we can't identify them, deep below the surface, driving our decisions are core values. What we truly believe deep in our being, who we want to be. And I'd like to suggest that these values are like the keel of a boat. Now, for those of you who aren't looking at pictures of boats regularly, you know, a lot of a boat is underwater. And the part that's underwater on most boat. Is there's a, the, the keel is the part that's under the water, and it's kind of like a fin. Some have really long keels, like deep, and some not as deep. But they run down the middle of the boat, and they go deep in the water to keep the boat going straight. Now, Jen, I'm not sure if Jen's here today, but our, she's our resident kayaker, and she knows this well. Most kayaks don't have a keel. They're just a flat bottom underneath. This is great for if you want to skim over shallow water or, you know, through lily pads and things like that. But on a really windy day or in turbulent waters, if you're not keeping yourself straight with a paddle, the kayak is just going to be blown this way or that because there's nothing under the water keeping it from going in any particular direction. So you'll just get blown everywhere. But boats with a keel will keep stable. They're affected by wind and wave, of course, but they're able to keep their course because deep under the surface, this keel is keeping them stable and steady. When we don't know what we value, we are like a boat without a keel. We are blindly swayed by values and pressures outside of ourselves and in our culture generally Or just by the things that we were raised on. Or by people who have influence over us will push us and move us. Although I'm sure that doesn't happen to any of us here, right? (laughs) We're not influenced by anything except for, you know, the Bible. I'm Just kidding. Seriously though, when we haven't taken the time to reflect on what we value, what do I really believe and what does that belief look like when I live it out? When we haven't reflected on this and identified what we value, we are like a keelless boat being tossed about in a surging sea where every wave of influence or pressure or shiny new toy pushes us in a different direction until some other thing comes along and tosses us around. Or perhaps even worse, we can be pulled along in strong currents that take us far away in the wrong direction when we major on minor things, so things that aren't that important, but we really focus on them, we get distracted by them, when we put our energy into small minor things that don't really have major significance, we focus on these things. These minor things, these side issues, are like a a strong current that, that catches us and pulls us away from what is most important. And when we recognize it, or if we recognize it, we're able to try to come back on course, but it takes a lot more work and recovery. Now, perhaps there are these side things are things that align with something that we value, which is why we get pulled in in the first place, but they aren't core values or deepest values, and so we find ourselves pulled and tossed back and forth. And so knowing your core values, what you most deeply believe, what has the most worth and importance to you, is like a strong, stabilizing keel. It can keep us moving in the right direction. But when we don't take the time to discern and identify it, we will find ourselves uh, in places, and things that we didn't want to be. The fact that you are here, whether in person or online, I assume means that God plays some sort of role in your values. That on some level, what you believe about God impacts who you want to be, what choices you want to make, and what is important to you and how you live or who you are. So if we believe that God is the creator of the universe, the maker of all that is, and that God is a God of love who loves us intimately, I mean... That's got to change the way that we live in the world, right? Sam, we were talk, announced uh, Christian fundamentals. This is pretty, right, pretty basic fundamental stuff. If God is God, that's got to change the way that we live. And this is one reason why the part of the Bible that's called the New Testament that tells us about Jesus, we have letters that are written by uh, followers of Jesus, And all through these letters, we see words like therefore, all throughout them. God is this or that, and therefore, because of who God is, therefore, we can live like this or that. Because God is the one who adopts us as children, therefore, our adoption depends not on our human desire and our effort, but on God's mercy. Which changes the way that we live, because we're now not living to try to earn God's love, but we're living because God loves us. Because of God's great love for us, because God is rich in mercy and made alive in Christ and has made us into one family, like uh, David read about in Second Ephesians 2. When God has made us alive in Christ and into one family, into one body, therefore... As, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, Therefore, remember you were separated and live in such a way so that you celebrate the unity that God has already made. As adopted, beloved children of the God of all creation, God, who, who God is and what God has done and who God calls us to be as people can and must be of the greatest importance to us in how we live our lives and shaping our values. And I personally, this is just a personal thing, what Paul likes to say, you know, this is me, not God. (laughs) But I personally uh, would say that in Christ, more important than vision, in the last hundred years, the church has really pushed for vision as the core thing. But I would say more important than vision, where vision is what you hope to achieve, what you're hoping to produce, more important than vision are our values, our values how and who we are lived out based on what we believe. As beloved children of God, what we believe about God and how we live that belief out is more important, I think, than identifying some goal or achievement. Unless, of course, the goal or achievement is to have pursued living out your values with virtue in the world. That's a vision that I would stand behind. Because God... Because God is infinite, we as a church community could not reflect all of who God is, nor could we respond to every single need in the world, but we know God is calling us, just like God calls all churches to be unique, to be particular, and sometimes, you know, in our case, to be peculiar. The peculiar people that we are. God is calling us not to be everything, but to be Spring Garden. And in order not to be pulled in every direction by every idea and theology and philosophy and ministry opportunity and need in the world. Because we can't be. We can't do all of these things. And God is not calling us to do all of these things. God is not calling us to be burnt out by chasing every single need in the world. And not only this, but as a church that is a diverse group of people, each of us individually have different ideas and values that are based on our personalities, our experiences, our own understandings of God, of Scripture, our passions, and our interests. So we together as a church cannot possibly pursue the diversity of every single individual's priorities. If we did, it would be like a giant tug of war. Do you know the game tug of war where there's two teams, they're holding the same rope? I'm going to, anyway, you're holding the same rope, right? So one team is pulling this way, and the other team is pulling this way. And the goal is to, to pull the other team over, you know, what started as the center. It would be like playing tug of war, except instead of two teams, it would be 100 teams with 100 ropes, <laughs> All pulling in every direction at the same time. You know, sometimes some of us, we you know, we'd be like, "Oh, we agree on this thing." So you know, we all gather together, and so there's a bunch of us. So you get a little more movement until one of us goes, "Actually, you're. I agreed with you up to that point, but you're a little bit different than me." So, <laughs> this is what this is why we have so many denominations, right? But it also happens in the church. Oh, you're a little bit different than me. So I can't actually be part of you now. That's not scripture. So I'm going to go over here. So now what was a united group is now splintered off and you're back. And then there's another group. And so you're, even you know I mean? The center is just constantly being pulled back and forth. If we as a church tried to go with every single one of our individual passions and, and understandings of God's and personalities, if we tried to chase these, it would just be a tug of war and we would never get anywhere. So we need a place where we can find a unified sense of call together. Who we are as a church community, who we are called to be and to do in unity of the Spirit. In a way that welcomes and honors all of our individual perspectives and experiences and theologies. We'll find in common ground in our deepest communal shared values and beliefs. And we needed a keel to keep us on course, gleaned from Scripture. Though I think we all know, or many of us it should say no, it isn't as easy as saying that we're unified in the Bible, right? Because the Bible can be interpreted in so many different ways. If we just say, oh, we're just going to believe in the Bible together, that's it. We have a, how many of us are here, you know? 90 people we have a 90 person tug of war in different directions all based on the same thing because the bible uh, is rich with the spirits moving and it's so it's interpreted in so many different ways we can't simply see the bible but yet the bible is a key part of at least for us here at spring garden so we need a keel glean from scripture from tradition from reason from experience shaped and enlivened by the Spirit of God to help us discern who God is calling us to be as a community and to discern where God is calling us when many different possibilities were vying for our attention. So in this way, we could be faithful to God's call over us as a community and not tossed about by every wind and wave while still loving and respecting the individual values of all of us together. And so years ago with this realization, our leadership team of deacons, elders, and pastors, actually took, we took a long time to discern together what our core values are as a community. Um, And each of these values, uh, uh, Sam was uh, talking about Delve, mentioned Delve. On the back of Delve is always our values uh, in full. Each of these values uh, begins in a place of faith. Um, If I could have that slide, uh, please. Uh, if you can read it. This is just the first line of each of our values, each of our core values, I should say. They're not all of our values. Each of our core values. We believe in a humble God. We believe in a God of grace. We believe in a God who knows us and desires to be known. We believe in a creative God. and We believe in a triune relational God. And We believe in a God who loves this broken world. And we believe in a God who is is our center. Now, of course, this isn't all of what we believe about God. For God is so much more than this. And God, in fact, is infinitely more than these seven things. For example, we believe that God is patient. And so, therefore, we strive to be patient. Right? We believe, or most of us would believe that God is a jealous God. And therefore, we strive to have no other gods before him. We believe God is wise, and so therefore we strive to live godly wisdom, not simply informational knowledge. We believe God is holy, and therefore we seek to live out a purity of love in the world. We believe that God made cats amazing, and so we strive to post more kitten videos. (laughs) We believe all of this, well, except that last one, and it might be a bit controversial. (laughs) Chances are it's got a strong divide, Cats and dog people, we can all have a fight out in the lounge afterwards. Cats and dogs. We believe all of these things and more because in God, these things are, in God, these things are true. And there is infinitely even more than that. But God has given us as a community a particular call as a particular community. We cannot and God is not asking us to, have to, be, to express the infinity of God. And so we as a a, a leadership and then through the years as a community have have, uh, identified and discerned these seven core values of who we sense God has called us to be as a rudder of our boat to keep us moving forward in the ministry that God has placed before us. And so as we move into 2023, continuing to reimagine what church and ministry looks like in a COVID world, We are going to take a few weeks to celebrate and to reaffirm together our shared values so that we can continue to be faithful to the ministry that God is calling us to. But even more than this, so that we can continue to be who God has called us to be as a community, finding our values and our value in the character and person of God. So I would encourage you to take a few moments throughout in this week to read through our values. Uh, Grab a copy of Delve or or go online. If you're new to Spring Garden or considering whether this could be a spiritual home for you, I would encourage you to uh, read the values as they'll give you a sense of what is important to us. They may not be who we always are, but they are who we always strive to be. But even if you've been around for a long time, I'd encourage you to reflect on them as well. They aren't like policy or bylaws that we simply kind of know is there when we reference them from time to time. They're meant to be a living piece of who we are. Now, our values are intentionally in no specific order because they aren't meant to be a a progression or a linear movement. However, Sam and I did feel like there was one we wanted to begin at the outset with. And in many ways, uh, because it informs much of our values. And I think it informs even what values are, uh, which hopefully you'll pick up is why I mentioned most of the things that I have so far. And it is this. Uh, Mia, if we could have the, the next slide. This is, our, this is a, uh, one of our values. We believe in a triune relational God who calls us to come together as a diverse community of believers. Therefore, we want to walk together, supporting one another physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We strive to be a welcoming, inclusive family that goes through the joys and the trials of life together, acknowledging that God uses this community to deepen and mature our faith. And so remember, this is just one value. It isn't meant to encapsulate all of who we are, And this idea of God as Trinity is something that we talk and pray and sing about quite often. God as Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, while the word Trinity, I think most of us, many of us who know, who've been around uh, Christianity for a long time, we know this word isn't actually in the Bible. But the revelation that God is one yet distinct with three distinct persons is found throughout the New Testament. And so the word Trinity is really just a metaphor to try to help us understand what the Bible tells us, that God is one, yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' baptism, that's the first scripture that David read for us, that's one such passage where we see all three persons of God interacting. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, speaking this word of blessing. Now, intellectually, the concept of three-in-one God is hard to get our heads around. Uh, And I'm not going to try to spend time trying to get our heads around it. (laughs) But as Stephen Siemens writes in his book, Trinitarian Ministry... The primary purpose of Trinitarian grammar, so the ways that we speak about God is three. The primary purpose of Trinitarian grammar is not comprehension or communication, but communion with God. So the way we talk about God isn't primarily actually about about communicating or understanding, but it is about communion with God. It is about shaping our language about God so that our heart, to shape our hearts so we might share in the life of God. While our brains cannot comprehend the mystery of God being three distinct persons that are yet one, one thing we can imbibe is that God is such infinite love that God's very self is a community of love. Perfect unity in a diversity of distinct but interdependent persons. And so as a people made in the image of a God who is in God's self-community. We ourselves are therefore, there's that therefore, right? Because this is who God is, we therefore are created also in community and for community. It is the very image of God in us. Scripture tells us that God, it actually says, "Let's let's make them humans in our image. It uses the plural, even in the Old Testament, before Jesus comes along. There's this idea that God is in us, and so when humans are made, it's made as in us. The only thing bad in all of creation was Adam by himself. And so people, as people made in the image of God as community, we therefore are created in and for community. It is the very image of God in us. And so, if we deeply believe in God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we seek to live out our identity as bearers of the image of God, then we will pursue healthy, supportive, reconciling, redeeming, joyful re- re- relationship with one another. Which I think we likely all know is no easy task, basically, requires. To live in community and to do the work required to be in relationship with others requires sacrifice. It requires putting aside personal preferences for the good of the other, which of course only works if the other is also putting aside their personal preferences for the good of others as well, right? So there is risk and there's vulnerability within the relational personhood, within our own relational personhood. The Ephesians passage that David read for us is an example, again, of where we see all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are working together to show us that they have made us into one, that we are one. There, it's a metaphor of temple. In other places, it's a metaphor of the body. But that God, as Father, Son, and Spirit, in their image, has made us, and they are working to make us unified as one. Stephen Siemens, again in uh, Trinitarian, the book Trinitarian Ministry, writes this. Though never separate from one another, the Trinitarian persons are nevertheless distinct from one another. They never blend or merge or are subsumed by one another. Finally, there is freedom in their relationships with each other. Not freedom from the other persons, for that is a typical Western conception of freedom. Not freedom from other persons, but freedom for the others. I love that. Not freedom from the other persons, but freedom for the others, in which, paradoxically, the uniqueness and distinctiveness of each person finds its highest expression. In other words, to find the highest expression of your individual uniqueness and distinctiveness... The way that God has made us as people to be made for community, to find your, the highest expression of your uniqueness and distinctiveness is actually to live freedom for others, not freedom from others. I think that's, I think that's just a beautiful a picture and reminder. Although to actually do it and live it is hard. Again, according to Siemens, scripture shows us that this freedom is not from, but for the others within the triune Godhead. And it's characterized by four things. I'm just mentioning them quickly. Um, full equal, which, and, and one thing is, as I read these, pay attention to, they, they're all actually in, um, are in this value. Um, Spring Gardens value of Trinity as relational. Full equality. First is full equality, which does not mean equivalence, but healthy respect for a valuing of and a recognition of the of one's distinctive personhood. Second is joyful intimacy. Where each person values one another, not just surface level, but sharing in the authentic, vulnerable, hard things of life, but also sharing in the authentic, beautiful things of life. Joyful intimacy. Third, he says, glad submission, which willingly sets aside personal preferences to look out for and to protect others' rights and preferences. And finally, He says, mutual deference, where all voices are important and are included and are heard, yet persons will healthily listen and defer to one another's strengths and personalities and mutual love and affection. Within the very being of God, who is three persons in community, the Father, Son, and Spirit share full equality, joyful intimacy, glad submission, and mutual deference, If you want to see this, read the Gospel of John and watch for it. As a community of faith who come together in the name of God for worship and for mission, we are called to pursue the same way of being with one another in unity of full equality, joyful intimacy, glad submission, and mutual deference. This requires that we are willing to bring the wholeness of who we are into relationship and community, laying aside at times our own personal preferences. But it also requires that when we bring the wholeness of our being, that we will also allow for the wholeness of our being to be cared for and loved by others. That instead of playing tug-of-war with one another, pulling in different directions, that we are braided together into a single strand that we sail alongside one another in the living river of God, with our shared values as a rudder and with Christ as our guide. I'd like to end by uh, giving um, a few moments for us. Uh, hopefully, you can read that. I realized the pink. All of our values have a different color. Hence, I tried. I wore this is the closest thing I have to pink, so I wore my pink, pinkest, my pinkest shirt. But anyway, but, but I just realized the pink. Uh, it may be hard to read. If you can't read it, you can springgardenchurchca slash values, and it'll be right there. So I want to give you a few moments, moments to read and reflect on this value and, and ask yourself, is this true for you? Is this something that you believe about God? You don't have to ask yourself all of these questions. Just the kind of maybe the one that sticks in your brain the most. Is this something you believe about God? Is this who God is calling you or how God is calling you to live? What might you need to release or let go of to God for this to become a reality? Perhaps it's what might you need to receive from God to pursue this as a value. And a question as, I mean, as a pastor and a leader, I'm constantly asking, what might we as a community need to do to make this less of an aspirational value and more of an actual value? So let's just take a moment to prayerfully reflect um, on this. If this uh, is something that is that you believe about God, um, is a value of how you want to be in the world, uh, or if, it is, uh, if you want to um, work with us as a community uh, seeking to live this out by the power of the Holy Spirit, I invite you to uh, confess this, uh, to read this uh, prayerfully uh, with me, uh, out loud if you wish. We believe in a triune, relational God who calls us to come together as a diverse community of believers. Therefore, we want to walk together, supporting one another physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We strive to be a welcoming, inclusive family that goes through the joys and trials of life together. Acknowledging that God uses this community to deepen and repair our faith. Amen.